Electricast. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, a leadership development podcast told through the lens of Star Trek. And now here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining me today. I'm so excited to be watching Deep Space Nine, and I'm even more excited to be watching it with all of you. In this episode, we're going to learn about Witham, dressing for the job you want, and how to take on the entire Klingon Empire by yourself. We're going to do this in the 14th episode of the fourth season, Return to Grace. As Deep Space Nine's third season came to a close, Paramount forced some changes on him. While the show was moving along the Dominion storyline and the changelings and all that stuff, Paramount wanted to introduce some more familiar elements for viewers. That led to Worf coming on board and, and what I like to call the, the one-season detour of DS9, which is the Klingon War. This started with the Klingons attacking the Cardassians, and then the Federation got pulled in as well. Cardassia had undergone an uprising that ousted the military government and reinstituted the De Tapa Council. The Klingons saw this as an opportunity for glory and conquest. Glory to you and your house. Beyond that, it very much changed the role of prominent Cardassians, like Gold Dukat. Now, all of that really happened over the first few episodes of the fourth season and set up everything. I mean, absolutely everything that happens in this episode. All right, let's get to it. Kira is getting inoculated boot camp style. What will you say in every single box? Age and allergies. So your age and your allergies. They should not have to ask you. Do you understand that? Yes, ma'am. To get ready for a trip to a Cardassian outpost for a meeting to share intelligence on the Klingons. I so, oh man, I so know how she feels here. I'm never going to forget my P days in boot camp. Well, <laughs> to be honest, I'll never forget parts of them. The reality is we slept so little. It was all just kind of a haze, even while it was happening. But we got in the line, rolled up our sleeves, and walked through a parade of needles that were, you know, supposedly vaccinating and inoculating us against all kinds of stuff. All I know is I had the Ricky crud for a good two or three months, even after getting out of boot camp. And if you know what the Ricky crud is, then then you know. And if you don't, well, consider yourself lucky. God, you know, really, I wonder, I wonder if they even call it that anymore. Hmm. Well, since the Klingon invasion of Cardassia, d- disease is is running rampant, and since she'll be meeting with them, she she needs to be protected. But seriously, like. How wild is this whole situation? Bajorans and Cardassians coming together to stand against the Klingons? Maybe, maybe there is something to the, uh, you know, the whole, the enemy of my enemy is my friend thing. Maybe. And in the meantime, Kira has been dating the first minister of Bajor, Shakar. Shakar ran a resistance cell during the Cardassian occupation, and he 
personally asked her to attend this conference. That's why she volunteered to do it. When she's done with Bashir, she's packing her things and recovering from the vaccinations. I'm seeing spots. Big, green, swirling ones. Uh, the size of Alvinian melons. And is the room beginning to spin? Yes. Good. It means the vaccine's beginning to work. <laughs> Everything will settle down in a moment. In her quarters when Ducat comes by. I probably don't need to remind you, but, but I will. <laughs> Ducat was the prefect of Bajor during the occupation. To say that Kira hates him would be a dramatic understatement. That said, we've been learning more about him recently in this season, and that has kind of, well, kind of softened him or, or kind of humanized him. Human rights. Why the very name is racist. He says he's going to be escorting her to the conference, and, and then he shares a little about his job, the family. They demoted you. <laughs> exactly one week after my mother disowned me, and my wife took our children and left. And says that he's commanding a freighter now, and that freighter's been assigned to get her to the meeting. On the freighter, Kira runs into Dukat's daughter, Tora Zial. She's been exiled from Cardassia and honestly doesn't really have a home anymore. She talks about what a great and loving father Dukat has been. While Kira's surprised, she's also really happy for her. As they're talking, they're interrupted by an alarm. Despite running just a freighter, Dukat is running it like it's a military vessel. He's running drills, striving for improved performance. That's pitiful. It's a great example of dressing for the job you want, not the job you have. Kira tries to offer some advice, but he responds by basically explaining that uh, the ship's just a piece of garbage. Well, they sit down to dinner, and it gets really awkward really fast. He gets way too personal. First it was Vedic Burial, and now it's the head of the Bajoran government. You do like powerful men, don't you? And then he even takes it a very inappropriate step further. It's further incentive for me to regain my former position. Yikes. Throughout this whole episode, Ducat continues leaning full force into super creepy, inappropriate, misogynist behavior. He keeps doing that thing, you know, where, where like he'll talk about Shakar, making it sound like he's complimenting him. But really, he's, he's undercutting him to Kira. In fact, if you remember correctly, you were the only female in his resistance cell that he didn't charm. Yeah, there's a lot of this in the episode. But, but because Deep Space Nine is an incredible series, this is more than him just, you know, being, being a creep. Over time and through the series, this ends up just being another step in a pattern with him. In fact, I mean, it's, it's so bad, so horrible, but so awesome in terms of Ducat and, 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 and who and what he really is. When we get into the sixth season, we learn some stuff about him that, whew, yeah, wow. Not going to give any spoilers here on this one. I'll just leave it that this gross behavior totally... <laughs> Totally has an even more disgusting payoff in later episodes, and honestly, I cannot wait to get there. Their dinner is interrupted by another alarm, but this time it's legit, and it's bad news. The outpost where the conference was taking place has been destroyed. There are no survivors. There's a single Klingon bird of prey just waiting there. Ducat, angry, fires on them. He wants revenge. The ship has its shields down, and Kira even offers some intelligence on the weak points of the ship, but despite all that, they do no damage, 
and the bird of prey just warps away. There's no honor in destroying a worthless freighter. Dukat hangs his head. He's personally just defeated. But Kira goes into full resistance fighter mode. She proposes alterations to the ship so they can put some of the planetary defense weapons from the outpost on board. You are going to have to stop thinking like a Cardassian military officer. They grab a disruptor from the outpost, repair it, and integrate it into the ship. Kira's out for vengeance, but she, she's going she's gonna to put it all on the line, right? Her, her experience ultimately impresses Dukat, and, and while she wants to go after the Klingons, she's, uh, she's feeling pretty awful partnering up with them. I have a lot to learn from you. Why is it when you smile, I want to leave the room? They're going after the Klingon ship, and they're getting ready for a rough engagement. Kira spends some time with Zial, teaching her how to use the phaser weapons. She's preparing her for the possibility that their ship might get boarded. They talk more about Dukat and their differing opinions on him. I mean, honestly, it's pretty easy to sympathize with Kira here, but but it just this whole thing just goes another step further in adding complexity to Dukat and for well, lack of a better word, humanizing him. Together, Kira and Dukat are going over possibilities for where they can find the Klingons. They agree it's likely a small outpost called Laval, and they set course. He has Damar set up a signal to act as bait to lure them in. You used me as bait? Go! Oh, Damar. Yeah, this is our first time meeting him on the Starfleet Leadership Academy. And in fact, yeah, I think this is his, this is his first time on the series. Yeah. And another great example of planting seeds. In this, he's really just... He's just a side character in the episode, but he, Damar goes on to be a serious force in the series. And while he's making adjustments and they're on their way, Dukat starts talking about his dreams of being restored to power. He really sees this engagement with the Klingons as his opportunity to get back in the good graces of the Datapa Council and get back into a position of power. Well, they arrive at Loval and they're right. The bird of prey is there, and it takes the bait. The Klingons say they're going to confiscate the cargo and the ship. They drop their shields to beam over, and then the freighter blasts the bird of prey. We've reached their hull. Their impulse engines are down. They're adrift. A short but intense battle ensues. Kieran Dukat board the bird of prey, and then she has a brilliant idea. She uses their transporter to beam all of their crew to the Klingon ship and all of the Klingons over to the freighter. They've taken the bird of prey and not letting well enough alone, Dukat destroys the freighter, killing all the Klingons. Oh, I can just imagine that Klingon captain explaining this to his superiors. He won't get the opportunity. Looking through the ship, Kira finds a treasure trove of Klingon intelligence. So Dukat goes to inform Cardassian Central Command. <laughs> he is so full of himself. He's confident they're going to make him a legate again, and he'll finally be restored. But, but that's not what happens. The Datapa Council has other plans. They've ordered me not to engage the Klingons in any further conflict. They want to pursue a diplomatic resolution, and... Uh, Dukat is just falling apart. He's lost all faith in his government and in his people. He decides that he, he alone, will stand against the Klingons. And if no one else will stand against the Klingons, I will. 
He goes on and tries to convince Kira to join him. You're nothing but a bureaucrat, an administrator. Oof, ouch. Ah, yeah, that, uh, thanks, Ducat. That hits, uh, that hits pretty close to home. Well, she turns him down, and she's able to convince him and Zial that while he's on his, um, quest <laughs> that she should move on to ds9 with her that'll allow Zial to have a life and and to be safe i love her i know you do where ducat has only been worried about himself and his status here kira shows that she's concerned with others and their well-being these are two very different people whose lives have become deeply intertwined I've owned this before, and I'll say it again here. Deep Space Nine is my favorite Star Trek, and this episode really shows why. They take so much time and care to develop the characters. And as Trek has almost always done, everyone has depth, dimension, and many, many layers. What this episode did for Ducat, and more specifically, Kira and Ducat, <laughs> it's awesome. Have you lost your job? Have you lost a loved one? Are you exhausted caring for your parents, for your kids? Well, you can find immediate relief when you read Sheila Mack's new number one bestseller, Bootstraps and Bra Straps. It contains the boots formula to move from rock bottom back into action in any situation, especially right now. If life has knocked you down, pick yourself up with bootstraps and bra straps. Get your copy at www.sheilamack.com today. Hello, this is Lafayette. And I'm Carlos. From Nerds Talking the Podcast. That's right. Where we talk about everything from UFOs, yep. comic books, like movies, uh-huh. streaming services, yeah. conspiracy theories, oh. Ghosts, mm. video games, yeah. and more. Kick ass. All on Nerds Talking the Podcast. You can find us every Friday with new episodes on all digital platforms where you find your favorite podcast, Nerds Talking the Podcast. Ducat is is one of the best villains in Star Trek. I mean, who do you who do you think of when you think of Trek villains? Do you think of Khan? Do you know the Klingon proverb that tells us revenge is a dish that is best served cold? The Borg? We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. Lore? I have more than I've dreamed possible, brother. Maybe even Q? Another brilliant suggestion, Captain. But your test hardly requires a long mission. Your immediate destination offers far more challenge than you can possibly imagine. Well, I think of Ducat and and Kai Wen. And a big reason for that is they took time on DS9 to be sure that that we, the viewers, not only understood that they were truly evil, but also the intentions and the reasons for that. Ducat's monologue in this episode about helping his people that is that is layered with with self-serving egotistical motives is it's beautiful. I mean, he'll step over anyone to be sure he's the most important person around, but he does it by truly believing that he's helping others. Makes for a villain that you, you kind of almost feel sorry for, a little, until you learn more about him. And then you feel awful for ever having felt bad for him. I mean, it's, it's so good. And knowing that the writers were detoured by Paramount in season four, oh, 
They still set the table for a ton of future stuff. They did not waste this season at all. Ducat and Kira's relationship gets deeper, more complex, not only with her taking responsibility for Zial, but also in helping learn to think more like she does. Also, we meet Damar. Now, Damar ends up being one of my favorite characters in this series. He's got a great arc, and his introduction here is perfect. Like, he's just a hint, a whisper at this point. You know, another another Cardassian with a name. But what he becomes and his impacts on galactic politics, wow. In case you couldn't tell, I really enjoyed this episode and think it was really, really very well done. In a rare occurrence in 90s Trek, there's just the one story. There's no quark schemes or Bashir and O'Brien getting into trouble. It's just Kira and Dukat. The two of them, with a couple of supporting characters, carry the whole story. <laughs> Super good. Command codes verified. Dukat did a lot in this episode to show us how not to act. Not only as leaders, but also as people in general. He was a he's a pretty disgusting look at unchecked ego and power here. But as we've done with Lorca, we'll learn from him through the absence of a few things. Specifically, his his lack of interest in other people. He is 100% focused on himself and what his actions will mean for him. But he also shows us, along with Kira, the value of innovating and dressing for the job you want. More on that in a minute. And then Kira shows us how our experience, whether we're proud of it or not, makes us who we are. And that we aren't locked into one niche or you know, our whole lives. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. Let's start with Ducat's positive lesson here. He's commanding a freighter, a freighter that attacks the Klingons and they don't even care. There are amoebas on season rats. <laughs> but he doesn't see it that way. I mean, as far as he's concerned, he's still commanding a galore class warship. You probably heard the adage, dress for the job you want, not the one you have before. I mean, if you haven't, you've heard it a couple times in this episode, but, but this is that saying in action. First off, this doesn't mean just to wear the clothes of the position or job, right? This is about carrying yourself like you have the job, communicating like you do. If you've ever heard or thought something like, wow, she sounds just like a CEO, before, you know what I'm talking about. Here's the thing though. You don't have to be a CEO to sound like one. You just have to sound like one. And that's what Ducat does here. It would be so easy for him to just, you know, lean in to running a freighter, just focus on schedules and streamlining his operating costs. But instead he wants to be on top of the Cardassian military again. So he carries himself, treats his crew, and runs operations as if he were the goal of a galore-class ship. And we see the benefits of this, too. With Kira's help, his drilling and the operational culture he's fostered allows them to not only overtake a bird of prey, but also not miss a beat when taking over its operation. A bird of prey. A bird of prey. The crew is on top of repairs and getting everything online because, because that's what they've been taught to do. And the same can go for you. 
We all have roles or positions that we want, or or we want to make an impact in a different or bigger way. If you just wait until you have those things, you won't be prepared for them when they do come. So begin carrying yourself and performing as if you already have that role. Here's an example. A few years ago, I had the honor of serving on a task force the governor of my state put together. We were tasked with improving our systems to prevent elder abuse. There were, I think, yeah, there were 12 of us who were at the table and about 10 others that served in supporting roles. Being at the table meant that, you know, your name was on the task force list and that you were responsible for outcomes. And essentially, you you got to vote on the the key issues that the task force came up with. That sounds like a big deal, right? Well, I'm on this task force with high-ranking law enforcement officers, elected state officials, executive directors of labor unions and professional organizations, and me, (laughs) I'm basically a mid-level manager working for the state. I'm nobody. But I was still expected to contribute, to make decisions and dedicate resources to our assigned task. Now, it would have been really easy for me to sit there take notes, you know, participate where I was able, but then go ask permission from my leadership to actually do anything. But, but if that's how I approach this at best, I wouldn't have contributed much of anything to the mission and worst, I would have been an active barrier to their progress. So I behaved and acted as if I had the full authority of our director. I didn't do that in a vacuum, of course. I met with her and kept her informed of what all was happening. But I also worked and partnered with her so that I could be both empowered and enabled to make the decisions that needed to be made. I dressed for the role I wanted, an active contributor working to prevent elder abuse instead of the role that I had. Through that, I was able to help write and pass legislation that that, that did exactly that. I was an active part of a team that affected real change. And to this day, because of that work, because I carried myself and behaved as if I had the role and authority of others at the table, I'm still called upon by our state legislature to testify and contribute to legislation that impacts the quality of life and safety of vulnerable people. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. So how do you do this? What does it look like to dress for the job you want? I'm going to break it down into two areas. First, how you carry yourself. And second, in what you produce. What do I mean when I say how you carry yourself? Well, what's your posture when you sit or walk down the hall? Do you avoid interactions or even conflict? Or or do you just take it in stride when it comes? When I think of this, I think of two scenarios. First is the more intimate of the two. Walking down the hall in the office when others are there too. Do you keep your eyes forward and kind of hope no one notices you? Or do you walk with some confidence and respond to others when they wave or try to interact? Now, now I'm not saying you need to be, you know, that guy in the hall all pointing fingers being like, Yo, what's up? Yo, what's up? Or anything like that. But, but walking with confidence like, like you belong there and you know and believe that you belong there. The second is more big picture, I guess. It's it's like presenting or participating in a meeting. For this scenario, let's make that an online meeting because, well, that's, uh, that's what the world does these days, yeah? But imagine that person 
in the job or the role that you want. For me, that person is a confident presenter that makes virtual eye contact through the camera, speaks in an engaging manner, and, you know, doesn't use garbage words like, uh, you know, or, um, and, and generally, generally they're just, they're well prepared. You don't have to be the CEO or the project lead or the supervisor or whatever to do those things. But if you do do them, when you're offered one of those positions, it'll be a totally natural transition. And then there's what you produce. Have you ever received a report or seen a slide deck and without even meeting the person that put it together or hearing them speak, you, you just knew this person was at a high level? I know I have. And by ensuring your work products have that professional shine to them, a, a polish, if you will, it goes so very far. You know, about, whew, wow, about 20, 20 or so years ago, <laughs> I had to calculate out a resource ask for a new body of work we were taking on. My boss at the time was an objectively not great person. I handed them my ask and the calculations behind it. They looked at it for about two seconds, turned around, and threw it in the recycling right in front of me. I mean, it was, it was garbage. So I worked with a team member that was really good at putting that professional polish on things. She helped me put it in an appropriate format with an executive summary and, and clean, readable calculations and projections so, so I could submit it again. When I turned this one in, my boss... and. And I call them a boss intentionally, like, like this person just told people what to do. There was, there was next to zero actual leadership here, but, but my boss loved the report, sent it up to HR to start kicking off recruitments for my asks. Now the punchline of that whole story is that my ask never changed. My projections and calculations were accurate, but when I presented them, <laughs> It looked like a middle schooler put them together using Claris works. <laughs> now there's a throwback for some of us, right? But, but it was all in how it looked and how it was presented. Learning how to put a report like that together in a, in a professional manner made a huge difference for me and for my career. When people get reports from me, they think I'm some sort of professional, but because they think that they take it more seriously to put all of this just a, just a little differently and wrap this piece up. Don't ever wait to have a role to behave like you have that role. If you want to be a senior vice president, act like an SVP, even if you're still in your entry level inside support role. Gandhi says, be the change you want to see in the world. It's a great quote, right? Well, Jeff Aiken says, be the person you want to be in the world. And speaking of who you want to be in this world... Ducat wants to be a big deal. He wants to be some military celebrity that causes people to tremble in fear while he lives a violent and lavish lifestyle. When we rule the world, be the day. In fact, he is so wrapped up and obsessed with what he's going to get out of defeating the Klingons, he can't get Kira to join up with him. Now, there is... A lot more to that decision than just Ducat's out-of-control narcissism and ego. But there's a very different way he could have conducted himself that, that may have gotten him very different results. Human psychology is complex, and I am... 
by no means an expert in it. I did take a psychology 101 course when I was in high school and could access some classes at our community college, but (laughs) that's about all I've got there. But there's a weird counterintuitive truth that the people don't often talk about when it comes to motivation. You see, if your motivation is to serve yourself, just worrying about what you get, you might have some short-term success, but nobody will truly support you and you'll end up failing and not in the good failing way we talked about in elementary dear data. But if your motivation is to serve others, you'll have longer term success and ultimately you'll, and ultimately you're going to actually get the things that you wanted. Let's take Ducat. He wants to be a legate again. In the Cardassian military, a legate is a very high-ranking flag officer, similar similar maybe to like an admiral or a general. Legates live lives of luxury and excess while executing brutal military campaigns. In this episode, all he is focused on is becoming legate and the lifestyle he'll lead. He's bragging. He's bragging loudly on the bridge in front of everybody. He even talks about it one-on-one with Kira. It's it's all he is focused on. And in the end, Kira turns him down, and so does the Datapa Council. Total failures how he reads this, and it has completely alienated him against his government and his people. But if we pretend that he was focused on, on justice for the Cardassians that were killed by the Klingons, and he was focused on learning all he could from Kira since, since she seemed super willing to share we could have seen a very different outcome, right? If he, if he bragged about the skill of his crew and the innovations Kira brought when he was on the bridge in front of everybody, if he talked to Kira one-on-one about what she could get out of working with him, made it a with him. Have you heard that term before? With him, W-I-F-M. That's a what's in it for me. So if he made it a with him discussion with Kira being the, the me and he was focused on bringing the Klingons to justice, I, I got to believe she would have at least been tempted to join with him. What can I do for you? And if those were his motivations, he would have been willing to partner with the Datapa Council. And in most worlds, at least you know, in my intergalactic experience, partnering up leads to more opportunities, which could have included a reinstatement of his legate rank. Yeah, that's all speculation, but if you play the game to its conclusion, what we saw in the episode ends up leading him to exile from Cardassia and alienation from his peers and colleagues, but but shifting his focus to be about anything but himself, to be about justice, to be about Kira and his crew, that would put him on a path where, where he ends up achieving his goal. So I said this was counterintuitive, and I and, and I still believe that. It's, it's not the way that you would think things logically work. If you want what you want, you focus on what you want. But in reality, if you want what you want, you need to focus on what other people want. In fact, a really great example of this is in our episode where we look at Deep Space Nine's In the Cards and Nog's Incentive-Based Economics. But while this is counterintuitive, it is simply how it works. If he wants to be legate and focuses only on becoming a legate, he will most likely fail. But if he wants to be a legate and focuses on the people around him, his team, the overall mission, he might achieve his goal, but 
only as a only as a side effect of his actual focus. Honestly, once you understand and embrace that fact, you'll find that success comes your way more easily. But it is the result, the side effect of your selfless focus. And finally, Kira comes to accept her new place in life. She was born into a guerrilla war, a resistance fighter from day one, or or a terrorist, depending on your point of view. But now she's part of so much more and plays a pivotal role in the politics of her people, as well as in the growth, safety, and development of all of the people around her. There is a great and powerful lesson there. You see, we are not locked into who we are. To be grandiose, right? We are not locked into any single destiny. Our experience shapes us and turns us into new things over time. And (laughs) thank goodness. I mean, if I still saw the world and played the role I did when I was 21, (laughs) yikes. But there's more to this takeaway from Kira. She doesn't try to hide away or forget who she was either. She knows that she did things she's not proud of today. She knows the desperate situation and environment she grew up in, and and she embraces it. Those experiences, good, bad, or indifferent, shaped her into who she is now. And she has unique and useful skills as a result. I mean, without her, that freighter would, would have been a joke to the Klingons. But her experience paved the path for her to use it to take the bird of prey over. <laughs> it's pretty cool. So simply don't be ashamed or try to hide what brought you to where you are now. I have a cool story on this I'm going to share, but but I'm going to change I'm going to change a lot about it. Um, yeah, I'm going to go very very general. The real specifics of this story belong to the person that lived this, and I'm I'm not going to take any of that away from them. I'm going to stick to the high level stuff and keep that true. But uh, let's just say, let's say that the reality of what I'm going to share is, well, a lot more shocking and a lot more impressive than the version I'm going to share. But, but the takeaway is, is the same. So this person, let's just, uh, let's call him Mary. Well, let's call him Mary Jane. But she worked from about the time she was 13 until just about 30 as a drug dealer. She started on street corners and high school hallways and progressed all the way to a pretty significant cog in an international distribution network for, well, mostly cocaine and marijuana. She was, she was super good at what she did, and she made a lot of money doing it. That's right. Now, say my name. But in her mid-20s, Mary Jane had her first kid, and her world changed. She decided to give the life up. Now... I don't know if any of you ever worked for a drug lord that barely spoke English and only ever really did when they were furious about something, but but this isn't the kind of job you just submit your resignation and quietly serve out your last two weeks. No, no, Mary, Mary Jane went through some stuff to walk away from that world stuff that, that now, well, over 10 years later, she, she's still having to deal with, but, but she did it. And now, now she works for a legitimate global distribution company and runs their entire shipping and receiving operation. Her experience in the past uniquely qualified her not only for this job, but specifically for the situation when the world's supply chains fell apart as we all responded to the pandemic. She was able to find 
unbelievable and truly innovative solutions that their competitors couldn't, and that gave them a tremendous advantage. And to this day, she openly credits her time working for that drug lord as the reason she was able to do this. Now, do not, <laughs> do not hear me say that you need to go sell drugs or, or anything like that. Instead, what I want you to hear me say, the takeaway here is that whatever you did in your life is what brought you to where you are now. Do not be ashamed of it. And, and more importantly, use it to your advantage. Life calls for unique skill sets all the time. Don't miss your opening because you're embarrassed about something you did. Kira doesn't do that. And well, Things, frankly, turn out just fine for her. Hey, keep those reviews coming in. Go into the app you listen to the Starfleet Leadership Academy on, leave a review, grab a screenshot of that, and send it my way. I'll be giving some shout-outs to people that do it. Now, you can send it to me on Twitter, at SFLA Podcast, or anywhere on social media, at Jeff T. Aiken. Jeff T., as in Torazeal, A-K-I-N. And I'd like to invite you to join the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast group on Facebook. The link is in the show notes. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. Oh, no. Okay. Well, wow. Yep. Well, it's a, it's a first season TNG episode, one one that I knew would come up eventually, and well, well, here we are. Depending on how you count it, it's the third or the fourth episode. It is, it's Code of Honor. You know what, though? Um, yeah, I am, I am always up to a challenge, and honestly, I couldn't ask for a better crew to head in there with than all of you. So here's the challenge I'm putting out there for myself, and I want all of you to hold me accountable to it. I will find valuable leadership lessons in, in what is widely considered to be one of, if not the, worst episode in all of Star Trek. So what do you think? Can I do it? Well, we'll find out on the next episode of the Starfleet Leadership Academy. So until then... Ex Astra Scientia. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the set? No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again on this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one -on -one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.